everybody. Welcome back. Uh, Dogbone Podcast. This is number nine. Um, this week, mixing it up a little bit. I have had a couple people ask me or make comments of, you know, you don't have to limit it to 30 minutes or less. I disagree because my wife said I had to, so I'm going to stick with the 30 minutes or less format. But uh, we are mixing it up this time. I'm actually, we dug into the archives. Uh, we did a podcast back when it was February 4th. February 4th, we did a podcast with the Release Hunting Podcast. It was Wes Hansen. Um, and he was gracious enough to share that with us. And it was really a nice, um, I felt like he did a real nice job. It was real comfortable. It was more of a conversation than I felt an interview. So um, we're going to actually uh, give you kind of an extra bonus this week. You're getting two podcasts released this week. Um, so we're going to share with you that interview. That one is closer to an hour, hour and five minutes, something like that. Um, a lot of good information. I think it's well worth um, listening to um, and checking out uh, the release podcast. Wes does a really nice job over there. So we appreciate him letting us use that audio file. Um, we are back in a, actually recording uh, podcast number 10. So the, the podcast grows older. Uh, we've hit double digits. Uh, we will be hitting double digits. So we're recording that one this week. We'll be back to uh, a 30-minute format. But enjoy this week. Um, and please do me the favor, if you're, if, you do, um, if you're getting something out of these, don't hesitate to share them with people that you think might, they may benefit. Um, please continue to like and subscribe and leave comments and reviews. And definitely continue to fuel us and feed us with questions. Um, this uh, number 10 that we're going to be recording here shortly is actually completely based on um, questions that, that I recently got uh, via Facebook Messenger. So um, please continue to do that, and thank you so much for your support, and enjoy uh, number nine. Welcome to another episode of the Release Hunting Podcast. I'm Wes, based here in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and really excited today. I have a guest on that uh, is kind of in my wheelhouse of interest, and I think it's uh, very interesting what he does. Uh, Jeremy, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, first off, Wes, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Jeremy Moore. We've got a company. Uh, it's called Dogbone, and uh, it's actually one of the brands under our company. And um, I've been, I've, I've obviously been training dogs for a long time. And one of the things that we tried to do uh, from the start, and now it's we even put more of an emphasis on it lately, is um, helping people that are interested in training their own dogs. Um, and, and giving them the tools and maybe more importantly, the tools with the information on, on how to go about doing it. Now, is this breed, uh, specific, I guess, um, is there just kind of this program works with certain dogs or how, how does that work? No, absolutely not. Like I, I, I think that's a good question and it's probably a question that used to be probably one of the most, most popular questions. I, I hear it really regular, um, when it comes to breeds. So, you know, just to give you an idea, we, we specialize in what we like to try. We're trying to brand the idea of this developing of a deer dog. So when we say deer dog, you know, depending on where you are in the country, um, and we, we go all over the place. So when I say that to, to folks, I get different reactions. You know, down south, I say deer dog, they think completely different of what maybe someone thinks of a deer dog in the Midwest or um, in the Northeast. But when we say deer dog, I mean shed dog to find antlers, you know, hunt and retrieve antlers for us in the spring. And then I use the same dogs, um, to track and, and we call it game recovery because I, I think it's, um, very, it's not specific by any means when it comes to game recovery. I think a tracking dog tracks and I think you can track as soon as we teach them and, and bring out what natural traits they have we're able to, I think, cross-train them and have them have them do a whole lot of things for us. So when I start talking about deer dog, um, more specifically, we're talking sheds and game recovery. And back to your question on breed, you know, it's not breed-specific. I, I have seen, literally seen, um, all sorts of breeds, everything from shepherds to beagles to spaniels. Uh, retrievers, I think I, I, I have a tendency to, to lean towards retrievers. Um, and the reason is, is because they have a lot of traits that I like. Uh, they have inherent traits that I don't have to train certain things into them. They have it. I simply bring it out of them. Um, but we've seen every type of dog, uh, 
we we use social media a lot, and so um, several times now over the last couple of years, we've asked the same question, and we ask, you know, what kind of breeds are you using to train, using our products for training with? And at one point, we had seventy some different types of dogs, and wow. I mean, like everything from like. Um, you know, everything from the, the classic retriever, but like a million different variations, whether you've got the pointy Griffons or the, um, the, the GSPs and you've got all these, these breeds that are pointing. And I mean, like some of them I'd never heard of. And then they have, then we get into the shepherds, Malinois, um, you know, those types of dogs. I've got, I've heard pit bulls. I've heard and, and seen pictures. I mean, the people have sent pictures to us. So, and, and that goes right down to like, Hey, I don't know what this dog is. We rescued it and it's got probably a little of this and a little bit of that. And we used their stuff and we had success. So I really think that's important for people to realize that breed doesn't matter. I, I, I think dogs, dogs have the tools. Dogs have the traits. Dogs have, all have what I call biddability, which is a willingness to please. So we can, we can train them, um, or have them do certain things for us, jobs. They like jobs. And when we can give them jobs, um, I think you can use just about any dog to do it. So probably the longest answer to the easiest question ever, but um, you'll find I get into stuff and I really get off on tangents. So Wes, you might have to rope me back in once in a while. You're fine if, if you're long-winded. It, it, as much information as possible, because this is kind of sure. new, new for me. We're, uh, we're going to be bringing home a GSP in May here, uh, really excited to get this dog to work. And it's just kind of one of those things, you know, like I, there's so many questions with it. I'm new to training and, you know, it's a a lot of questions I have. I'm sure the same questions, many, many people getting into it also have. So be long winded. Um, I guess, does this start with any age? Um, obviously you want to start from puppy on, but if somebody's out there with a two, three year old lab, um, are, yeah. is this still a good system they can get into? Yeah. I, so here, here's my backstory. My first, my first shed dog was eight years old before I shed hunter with it. Now it was a dog that I used, you know, I had trained it. I got it when I was a puppy, seven weeks old. And I brought her up as a, as a little gun dog. And it was really the first lab that I owned. Um, my background is golden retrievers. My par- I always had golden retrievers growing up. My parents had a really small kennel. Um, they would, I wouldn't even call it a kennel. It was, they bred a litter maybe a year. Um, but they focused, they focused on real high quality and, and that was awesome. But my background was these, these gun dogs and bird dogs. And when I say bird dog, not pointing dogs, but upland dogs. So I had an eight year old black lab. She was a tremendous dog. And my problem was, as a as a hunter, I I went through these evolutions. I went to a, I went to college over on the west side of the state in Wisconsin at, at UW Stout, and really good deer hunting area. And when I went over there, most of my buddies were from Minnesota, so duck hunters. And so I really got into duck hunting while I was at school. And so I spent a lot of time, and obviously the retriever made sense. And um, I really kind of really got involved and serious about training at that point in my life. I had gotten this pup and I trained her and she, well, she turned up pretty nice. And, and thankfully she was a really easy dog to train. And that was probably what hooked me for, to this point, to get me to this point was that was so much. I, I enjoyed that so much. Well, I get through these years of, of shooting a lot of birds and putting a lot of time into it. And if anyone is a, a duck hunter um, or waterfaller or even, you know, an upland guy too, I guess they real you realize if you want to do it well, like it takes a lot of time. So I think anything you do, if you want to do it at a high level, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of time. And the bird hunting was no different. So I focused a lot of effort on it, and it took me kind of away from my deer hunting stuff. So I ended up um, I kind of backburnered. I've always been a whitetail guy. I'm from Wisconsin, so I was raised like it's real cultural. It's and, like, it's in our blood. Raised, <laughs> Totally. And, and, and my grandpa did it. My dad did it. I hunted with him. You know, I was a big gun hunter growing up. And then I got into bow hunting and that kind of took over my life. And so then I get into these bird hunts, this bird hunting, and that takes me over. And I just didn't have enough time to do it all. <laughs> and so as I got done with, as I kind of got to the point where I went, man, I just, I got out of school and I went, I just spent five years in the backyard of like Buffalo County, Wisconsin. And Buffalo County was 20 minutes from our, from our, from my house in college. 
and I didn't hardly deer hunt. And I thought, man, what a waste. I, you know, I don't regret it because I had great hunts, um, shot a lot of birds, but I realized my, my, I really love hunting big deer and I really, it's in order to do it, I'm going to have to put a lot of time, a lot more time into it and, and do it well. So I kind of, I kind of hung up this idea of, of hunting so many birds and, and here I have this really good gun dog and she's seven going on eight years old. Now I, I shed hunted, um, for years prior to it using a dog and I'll be honest with you for the first three, four years that I looked for antlers, I never found one. And so I think it was a combination of things. I think, uh, I wasn't looking in the right spots. It just wasn't a very good shed on it. And, and so when I got this dog, I went, I'm going to, what do I do with this gun dog? If I'm going to focus on deer hunting, now I'm getting all these pictures of deer and I'm, you know, trying to find antlers and put this thing together into a year round obsession, basically with deer. And so I thought, why wouldn't I, I had heard about people using dogs to shed hunt. Oh, this was a long time ago. This is like 2000 and it's probably 2006, 2007, probably. Basically before shed hunting as we know it today has just evolved yeah. into what it is. Definitely. Like back, back in that time, I'd knock on the door and I'd ask people if I could shed hunt their farm and, and they'd look at, they wouldn't know what I was talking about. They weren't, you know, <laughs> and today, I mean, I, everybody, oh yeah, go ahead. They, you know, they, nobody, half the people didn't know what I was asking to do. And now today, you know, majority of the time when they knock on the door and try to get permission somewhere, you know, they should hunt themselves or they got a nephew or they have, you know, somebody. So it really was before all of that. And so, but I, I, I started fooling around with this older dog of mine and, and she was smart. She was really strong in the foundation work. And I, I took her that first year and I found more sheds that year than I had found every year added up prior to. So I was really, you know, I was hooked on the idea of it. And so I ended up taking that dog, that older dog, eight-year-old dog, cross-trainer. Well, from there, I went to a puppy. And I, I was like, I got to do this. So I went and I got a puppy. Um, I'm just going to train it to shed hunt. That was where, that was where really, like, dog bone and where the idea behind what I needed to do with it came from was, you know, taking this old dog and cross training it. So the, so again, longest answer to the easiest question was that I tell people that because I think there's a lot of people at home right now that have dogs that could be two, three, five, seven, ten years old. And they go, ah, my dog's too old to do that way. And I tell the story about this eight-year-old dog because I think it's, I think a lot of people can relate and go, I do have a really smart dog, likes to retrieve, pretty trainable, has a good nose, you know, maybe has a pretty polished career as a gun dog, bird dog, whatever it is you're doing with them. And can you convert them to sheds? And the answer is really easy. Like, yes, like it's not that hard to do. So do I, do I like puppies? I love puppies because they're blank slates. You know, that that's what I like about young dogs is they're really young and they're blank slates. They don't have bad habits or, or very few. And I can start to form good habits and bring natural traits out of them early. So I do like young dogs. Um, but the older dogs, the nice part about older dogs is if you have a good foundation, you get into more the, what I call the fun stuff a lot quicker. You get into like working up with some antlers and some antler shape and some scent conditioning. And you get into all that stuff much earlier in the process of, of training for this dog than you would with the puppy. Cause the bottom line is the reality is if you got a little puppy, you're not doing any of this fun stuff for a long time. Right. And, and that's okay. That's okay. As long as you accept that and realize it going into it, I think people, um, you know, that's an, off on another tangent, but the, the idea with the older dog is you get into the good stuff right away. You can start with shape conditioning. You can start with scent, scent discrimination and determining what these antlers are that equal that retrieve and that reward. The problem with the older dogs are if you have holes in your training, they'll show up. So you have to fix those holes. I always tell people, you, you, if you're going down a road and there's a, there's a, a bridge out, you, you can't just ram through. Like, you got to build a bridge to get across. Well, and when you're going down your road of training, and you run into these, these gaps. You can't just force your way through them. You have to figure out how to build that bridge to get through it. And that, that usually comes back or reverts back to foundational stuff. It, all problems all problems are stemmed off of 
foundational issues. Now, with people with puppies um, getting into this, like I, I really want to get my GSP when I, when I get it, I, I want to start this process. Um, obviously, you have to lay down the foundation, like you're saying, with the obedience, get it, you know, everything locked in, build that foundation. How long usually is that process of building that foundation until you get to the fun stuff? Well, so good question. And when I think the way, so, so I can give you like, uh, I can give you like, well, it's a ballpark, meaning it's, you know, from, you know, I always say people, I don't call dogs puppies until they're two years old. So I don't call them, I, literally I call them a puppy until they're two. Now, is that a, do, do they have their second birthday and all of a sudden now they're a dog? No, not necessarily, but I think that's a good benchmark. Um, one thing that I really stress is I look at, I look at dogs and I re, and I wrote an article about this not too long ago. Um, and the title of it was great trainers know no time. So, so when we, when we start thinking about, and it's a question that do you have dogs less before this one? Or yes. And it, it, we, we do have a dog and it's, it's not trained for anything. It's just a, a normal house dog. It's not a working dog. Sure. And this is why sure. we, we kind of chose the GSP as a working dog. We were battling between that and a lab and, Sure. This is something that I wanted to get for my family. I thought would be a good family pet that we can use as a working dog too. Yeah, yeah. And the reason I ask is because, like, this is a really this is this is a great this is a great question because kind of opens up um, a, a, the, a theology that I take and I, I an approach I look at when it comes to training in general. And I think whether you have a dog or you don't have a dog doesn't matter because if you had a dog in the past, a field dog or a dog that you're working for in the field. If you had that in the past, it doesn't matter because most most people, I think, don't recognize or take this approach or realize that, that, that they can look at things like this. Because I don't, I think there's a, I think there's a idea out there when it comes to dogs that they're kind of like, um, like I try to think of different analogies, but I, I think people look at them like they're a motor. Okay, so so it's a it's a motor that goes into a vehicle of some sort, and in order to make that motor work, like you have to take these certain parts of the motor. You gotta have a carburetor, you gotta have a gas tank, you gotta have pistons, you have to have all these parts and pieces of a motor and you have to assemble them. And there is a correct order to assemble them. So you have to put this on first and you have to put that on second. I'm not an mechanic, so I might sound like an idiot explaining <laughs> this, but you 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 have to start at a beginning point. Like Here's maybe an easier, less less complicated. Okay, so I bought this uh, pressure washer from Home Depot. Right? Okay, so I get this pressure washer from Home Depot. It comes, it's got some assembly needed, right? So I take it out of the box. It's got twelve steps to put the thing on. I got to put this whole handle on and put these wheels on it. But this, it's not very complicated. But there's steps in order to do it. Now, if I don't take, like, if I skip step one and two and I go right to three and then I go four at number five, it bit me in the ass because I had to put this number one on or number two on first. And now I have to back up. So that is really clearly set where, you know, you have step one, step two, step three, step four. And if you follow it in order and you do the right sequencing of it, by the time you get to step 12, you got a pressure washer that works, right? Dogs aren't like that. So like that, that dog's, I don't know what step one is, two, three, four. I know the general direction that I'm going to go with them, but I don't have, there's no manual out there. There's no set like, hey, you need to do foundation work for the first six weeks, and from there you need to do this. And Literally, I've had people ask me, will you write out a calendar? Like, They wanted me to put down a daily calendar for the first six months of their pup's lives of what they should do. And, I, and, and so it goes back to how people's mindsets are. Like, some right. people are very analytical and some people want like a step one, step two, step three, step four. Some people, you can show them what the, what the, you know, like I'm not this person, but you could show a person the, the picture of the pressure washer and say, here's all the parts and pieces. Now put it together. And they just kind of see it and they go, they analyze it visually and they go, well, in order for me to get number one and number, in order for me to get to number six, I'm going to have to do number one and number two before three, which is going to come before four. And they can break that down really quickly in their mind. And they can go, boom, one, two, three, four, five. Most people can't do that. Right. So when it comes to the dog, people want that, like, they want to have, this is another way of describing it, I think is good. Baking 
versus cooking. Okay. Right. I can't, bake. I can't bake. Like there's a difference. First off, there's a difference. Some people won't even know that there's a difference between baking and cooking. And, and I didn't realize it until I tried to bake once and I realized I couldn't bake because I wasn't very good at these steps of the order. So like, if you bake something and you don't do something in order, like you don't follow directions exactly, it might not turn out because you might have had to do something and add something and do this. If you don't follow it specifically, it doesn't end up a good finished product. With cooking, I can cook. Like I feel like I can cook sometimes pretty good. And so cooking is you got a recipe and you got some instruction on it. You got a list of ingredients and then you got this picture at the end. And you know what? Like, for instance, I made a rabbit. I, we, we rabbit hunted this weekend. I shot some rabbits. We made this rabbit pot roast meal thing. And I got this recipe online. And so in the beginning, I saw the list of ingredients. I don't know. There was maybe 10 ingredients. I had eight of them. So I looked at it and I went, well, I'm pretty close, you know. And I saw the picture at the end. And I said, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like when I'm done. <laughs> and I read through, I read through the steps. Cause it kind of spelled it out. There's four or five steps that do this first, then this, then this, then this. But it wasn't super specific. And I looked at it and I went, okay, I've got eight out of the 10. I think I can make this work. And so I substituted one thing in for another. I didn't have a can. I didn't have any chicken broth. So I called my wife. So what do I do? She said, take two cans of chicken noodle soup pour them out and strain out the, the juice out of it, add a little bit of water, there's your chicken broth. So it's not exact, right? Like I had to improvise a little bit right. and make changes. But in the end, that rabbit stuff tasted delicious. Right. So cooking, you can get a good result without being so specific. So again, long, long answer to this. But timing with dogs is this. I can't say how long anything is going to take because it'll take as long as it takes. And then when it's, when it's ready, when the dog's ready to move forward, we'll move forward. And then when the dog has to move back, I'll move back. And so I've got seven dogs right now I'm training. Like that's way heavy for me. Like I don't, <laughs> it's a lot, like it's a lot. And so all seven of them without question, like we could go through them one through seven and I could talk about where they are right now, their age, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. Every one of them is different than the other one. And so as a trainer, it makes it more difficult when you, mag- when you magnify it or multiply it out by seven. But if you just have one, like if I had one dog, I'd go, this is, pretty, this is really simple. And so I'd, I'd just analyze that dog daily and I'd find out what do we need to work on? And what do we need to work on is based on what went well or what did we struggle on yesterday. I, and, then that, same, that makes- and then the same the next day. That makes total sense. I was, me and my wife were watching some YouTube videos, um, and you were really struggling. You were getting frustrated in, in some of these videos. It was kind of from way back, but uh, the the dog just wasn't feeling comfortable with the bird bumper in its mouth, and yep. you just you were working with it and working with it, and you even said you're like, "This is so frustrating. I am I'm so pissed off right now." But right. you knew when to stop. But I, that kind of makes sense with the whole. Um, it's, it's kind of day-to-day process. You can't really rush totally. things. And, and it, it's really making more and more sense to me the more I'm watching these videos and everything and trying to prepare myself for training that you can't right. ru- you can't rush anything. You just... Yeah. It, there's, there's a saying that I, that I use is there's no way to speed train dogs. You just can't. I, hey, I'm all, I'm all for efficiency. Like, I want to do stuff fast. Like, because I have so many things going on. I want to figure out how can I do them quick and effective. Like I just want to be super efficient and, and certain things I want to be really fast with. Like, but when it comes to dogs, I have realized that sometimes the fastest way, the best way to speed things up is to slow things down. And when I tell people that, including myself, if someone told me that I go, shut up, you know, like that's dumb. That doesn't make sense. Speed things up by slowing things down. No, no, no. Cause I come from like a mindset. My background is construction. So my, my mindset has always been, you got to be fast. Yep. You have to do a good job, but you got to be fast. It's the only way to make it at these days. So our whole society is wrapped around speed. It's time, a, time, more or less a time. production society. Like everything is based totally. off of production. Totally. And that's why I know the nice part about dogs is this. It removes you from that mindset. It, it should remove you from that mindset. If it doesn't, you're going to struggle. 
So like I, my slowest part of the day, probably my most enjoyable time of the day is when I'm working with a dog because it forces me, I might be going crazy a hundred miles an hour. And then I realize if I don't change the way this, the way my mindset is, my physical, everything about me physically, mentally, the whole nine yards, if I don't slow it down, I'm wasting my time with my dog because they don't, they don't go faster. They don't go, they don't learn faster because I'm in a hurry. So I have to slow things down. And as soon as I change my mindset to go slow it down and quit worrying about why it's taking so long, usually it just happens, starts to happen for me. And that's the, that's the cool part. I mean, that, that's where, that's where when you start training dogs, you can apply a lot of this stuff to, to just about anything in life. Like I, I just truly believe that. And I think that, you know, the idea of assembly line training doesn't work. You can't just you can't just crank dogs out at a. I have a three month program. At the end of three months, this is where we'll be. I can't say that because right. I don't know. Because I don't know. And the nice part about training your own dog here's here's the thing. You want to train? You're going to train your own dog. And there's probably a lot of people that are listening right now. They want to train their own dog. Right. This is what I love about it. First, there's all sorts of benefits. But the but besides that. The beauty of you training your own dog is, what's the rush? Where where do you feel the pressure to, to, you know, there is no need. That dog doesn't care how old it is. It doesn't care how many weeks it's done this. It doesn't care how many, how much time. The only time, the only thing I, the only time that, that time becomes relevant, I think, is with attention span and focus. Sometimes that matters. Like, you go too long with something, you're, you're going to, lose your dog and you got to, so you got to recognize that on the micro, but in the macro, it doesn't matter. Time doesn't matter. So as soon as we stop thinking about time, things seem to speed back up for us. Right. That it totally makes sense. Like it's, you know, pretty deep, right? Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, you, you, like, it, and I don't, and I say that kind of jokingly, but I also say it relatively serious because I, I do think, I mean, I, I buy it. I believe it, man. I just truly believe that. Well, I am, I am one person, and I think a lot of people are like me too. I'm a person of impatience. Um, I'm not a very patient person. I get excited. I get giddy. I mean, I, I can't wait till May till I get this dog. I wish it was tomorrow. Right. But in right. a way, right. it's, it's a blessing in disguise that I have this time to prepare, to get ready, and go into it, you know, start the process, you know, Right now, I'm I'm starting right. the process of learning about just learning about training and you know different aspects. I mean, there's thousands of YouTube videos, and for everybody listening to, um, you are constantly on YouTube, um, just doing short little videos, which is so helpful. And uh, yeah, our, you, know, you hit first off, you hit a keyword there with patience. Like it's a buzzword, man. I I, I can't wear that. I can't say that word enough. Like, because most people, you're, you're not alone when you say, I'm not very patient. Hey, I'm telling you right now, I'm not very patient. Like, trust me, I am not a very patient person. I have to remind myself, I get up every morning and I pray for patience. It's one of the first things I'll pray for. It's one of the first things that I'll say, I need that. I need that bad. Like, and, and it, it, again, it helps me with my dogs, but it also helps me with other stuff. Training dogs has made me a better husband. It's made me a better dad. It's made me, there, there's times where I coach things with kids. Um, you know, I've got kids. And there's times where I'm doing sports or doing, you know, involved with something like that. It, I need, you need patience for that stuff. We go and work, you know, there's so many aspects of our lives that we're, we just have, everyone has involvement with. And there is not, there are very few, if any, that you can say, Additional patience or the the ability to be patient wouldn't lend itself well in that scenario. So patience is freaking huge, man. And I like to I like a, a frantic. I like to be I like to be. I mean, you can hear it in my voice probably. Yeah. I get yeah. In, I get I get into this. I love these things. I get into these and I start talking, man. I go 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 go. I'm ramping up, ramping up. And so you can tell, like for me, it's not. It's not supernatural for me to just go really, really slow. Yeah, like, it isn't. The, the the most the 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 time 
of my life and the time of my day that I am the most slow and methodical and really like think about not rushing stuff. Like as I slow down and I talk like this right now, it becomes a little bit almost uncomfortable. Yeah. It's almost awkward. And that, and, and I'm not saying you go like at a snail's pace, like with a dog, maybe like just depends. You might have to, right. But you have to be able to have the record. You need to be able to recognize it and realize it and then execute it. Because at times I got to be really shifting gears. And if I'm, if I'm a hundred miles an hour all the time, including when I'm working on calls, I won't maximize that time. And when I'm, when I'm, when I want to go 100 miles an hour, and I'm, you know, in a situation where my wife's not trying to plan something, sometimes I have to just be be aware of that and go recognize it and say, slow down. I just gotta slow down. Absolutely. So there's a lot of there's a lot of times where that comes into play, and there's there's great value in in recognizing that and being able to um, to to do it. I mean, it just takes time, but. Getting the dog, man, that would be a great place to start because you're going to have to. Absolutely. Our family's really looking forward to it. My son's four years old, so by the time this dog's in its prime, I'm hoping you know he's going to be 10, 11, yeah. 12 years old, and it's it'll sure. be worth every minute of the training process and the ups and downs, and I'm just excited right. for that process. And you know, I'm kind of looking forward to getting frustrated. I like... I like the challenge. I like going back and thinking, you know, like watching you on YouTube, uh, you just couldn't figure out like, why isn't this dog picking up this bumper? And then you kind of put mm-hmm. two and two together and you're like, I think it's the floor. I, I think it's because this is a plastic bumper. The dog's having a hard time picking it up. Like you, you like went through and you, sure. you went through that whole process and you figured it out. And I'm excited for that. That's, that's, the, I love the, the challenge. Process, the process, I think, is maybe more fun than the destination, like the, the the end game, and that's where that's where you get value. So uh, you keep this up, man. Like like the the idea of training your own dog. I think there's so much to be said about it because I think mechanics are important with training dogs. You know, knowing where to put your hands, the how to do this, the the timing, the tone. Those are all those are mechanical things, and so. That can be taught. Most people can learn that stuff and, and understand it. And, and then it takes practice. You have to do it. There's muscle memory. You know that stuff. That's mechanical. The other part of the training a dog is is feel and trust, and and the idea of a dog understanding you and you understanding your dog. The reading part of it, and and how you react to that. So that part of it is you don't get that. If you don't have your dog, if you don't go through these process, if you don't go through this process, and I I call it a process because it's a, there's a beginning, there's an end, and then there's all this stuff that happens in between that link together. Like it's like a chain, there's no chain. If you have one link in the beginning and you have one link at the end, it does you no good. Like you need to have a bunch of links in between that connect. And then if you have a whole bunch of them, you have a chain and now you can do something with the chain. But with a link is useless. So when this process, it's all the stuff in the middle that's really important, connecting everything. And those are the things that you build off of, and those are the things you recognize weaknesses with, and all that stuff as you go through this process of training. Not training your dog takes all of those things away. And so, now I understand, because I understand people are going, I don't have time to do it. That's self-awareness. That's recognizing um, you know, that's recognizing something and should you not have a dog, I'm not saying that. But I also think that people think that dog training takes a lot of time. It's very complicated. It's hard to do all this. And I think that, that, that impression is out there and I won't, I won't sugarcoat it. I won't go hey, It doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. It takes time, but I, I like to make this, I like to make this comparison. Raising kids takes time, a lot of work, all that stuff. But when you bring your, when you, when you have a kid, you've, you've got kids, right? How many kids you have? Yep, one son. He's four. Okay. So when, so when he came home, you didn't look at him. What's his name? Noah. Okay, Noah. You, Noah. Noah comes home. 
Wes doesn't look at your wife. What's your wife's name? Jessica. Okay. You didn't look at Jessica and go, hey, now that Noah's back here, I think I'm probably going to set up, you know, like between 5 and 5.15 when I get home from work, I'm going to set up a little time. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to do a little training. So, and, and, and Jessica didn't say, Hey, um, you know, I've got this going on during the day, uh, in the morning, you know, no one's going to have to eat. So I'm going to probably set aside seven to seven ten to set up, uh, we're going to do some feeding. And then, you know, you didn't set time aside to raise Noah. Right. Like it just, he came into your life and all of a sudden raising Noah was constant and ongoing. And so as you, but, but all your other stuff in life didn't stop. Like you didn't, you didn't, you didn't say, I think I'm going to take off work for the next 18 years because no one's here. I gotta be, I gotta raise, I gotta raise this kid. Exactly. I gotta train this kid. So life went on. Like you, you still went to work. Everything, everything happened. Yeah, did, were there some adjustments? Absolutely. You, you know, you had to make some adjustments, but you didn't set aside 10 to 15 minutes a day to raise your kid, train your kid. So you, you instead, I like to say you raise him, and when you raise him, it's an ongoing thing. They're always learning. Right. They're all, they're little kids, they're always learning stuff. So you're always, uh, whether you like it or not, you're, you're always teaching stuff. You're, you're influencing. Yep. Um, you, you're, you're creating a culture for that kid to ra- be raised in, and your goal or objective is, probably to make it be good in the end. You know, you you put install some install some good morals and all that stuff. Absolutely. Look at this dog. When this dog comes in your house, I look at every one of them the exact same way. I don't set aside time to train them. I train them all the time. They're constantly in training. I've got I'm literally sitting in my warehouse right now at our shop and I'm looking at two dogs. One of them is a client's dog, one of them is my dog. One of them's on the bed and one of them's sitting on a on a remote sit. Has been the whole time. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, I'm on a, I'm doing a podcast with Wes right now. I got my computer open cause I got 50 emails to do back. I got, <laughs> I got all these different things that I'm, I got a to do list today. It's really long. I won't get it all done. So all this stuff has to happen today. But at the same time, Moja who's with me right now and Spry who's with me right now are in training. And so when I get a chance to go outside to my truck, cause I forgot my wallet, I'm going to have to grab it. I'm going to bring a dog on heel. And they're going to heal out there with me. They might go to the bathroom. They might come back in. I might have to go down and uh, get my mail today. So when I go down, I'll bring a different dog. We'll get a little bit of heel work in. We'll get some, maybe I'll let the dog go out and I'll recall it to me. There's just all these different scenarios that all day long, I'm going to be doing stuff. And if I can figure out a way to build in training the dog or rate more, I think better way to describe it is raising the dog. If I can raise the dog throughout the day and always be trying to put good stuff into it and avoid the bad stuff, that's all you got to do. If I can do that, it's no different than having those when you, when you bought an old home. Right. It's just, it's just, you know, it, it's going to take longer with the kid. Because, but like a, a, a six month old dog looks like a dog. Right. It's a puppy. It looks like a dog. It's deceiving. People think six months old looks like a dog, must be a dog. No, it's a puppy. It's probably comparable to that four-year-old kid. So if you have, if, if Noah decides, hey, dad, I'm four, I don't know, do kids, they don't, are they in organized sports at four? These days probably. Yeah, a little soccer and t-ball. And... Okay. So, yeah, so you t-ball, right? So, so you take him t-ball and you have aspirations of, you know, I really like Noah to play uh, varsity baseball and maybe he goes on to play college level baseball. I'd really like that. That would be a really big goal of mine. And, and there's a lot of parents that feel that way, you know? Right. So they bring their four year old kid to T ball and boy, he's not playing varsity baseball level at age four. <laughs> Do you think at that point it makes sense to go, ah, he's just not going to make it. He's not going to cut it. Move on to the, you know, let's find something else. Right. No, you, you develop some patience and you go in, let's just get, let's just get him to figure out like what the game of baseball looks like. Uh, let's see, let's, let's maybe try to get him to like it a little bit, Let's you know, eventually we can get into taking baby steps and next thing you know, we're into, you know, uh, coach's pitch and then we're doing some pitching machines and then we're doing kids pitch. And there's a, there's a way to get a kid to college baseball and it, it's a system and it's a process and, and it takes a while. It takes some time. 
getting a dog to be a shed dog, getting a dog to be a tracking dog, getting a dog to be a gun dog, bird dog, drug dog, bomb dog, diabetic alert dog, after what it is, it's a process that takes time. There's a bunch of, there's a bunch of little leagues in between there that build them up, build them up. Each each baseball league builds off the last one. Right. You know, like right. This, this year they can steal. Last year they couldn't. You know, so there's all these little things. So dog, dog training, there's, there's so many similarities to other things that we have going on in our lives and people really totally get those other things that are going on in their lives and they understand why you wouldn't write Noah off at four years old to being a baseball player. Right. Because hey, you gotta, you gotta be patient. You gotta see what happens. You gotta see how big he gets. You gotta see what's his strengths and weaknesses. All these skill developments. I, I ask people to take the same mindset and approach with their dog and, and be a little patient and, and Put, put in the idea of it's a process. And you're their leader. That's the cool part. You control it. nice part about dogs is they want to make us happy. Yep. And, it, and, and the beauty of a dog is, you know, they don't do things to spite us. You know, sometimes you get into a, sometimes you get into some issues with some people where they do things to spite you. Dogs don't do that. All they want to do is make you happy. You just got to figure out how to talk the way they talk. And they don't talk like us. They don't, they don't act like us. So we need to act like them in order for them to understand what it is we want. And if we can get that to them, if we can relay that to them in a way that they'll understand, they'll do anything you ask them to. That's, that's amazing. I, I mean, you really laid it out because as we're jumping back to how impatient people are and, you know, people want mm-hmm. a, I, I want it now, you know, that's kind of mentality a lot of people have, but you know, this really, I'm looking forward to slowing you know, everything down for me and, and spending sure. the time and everything. It's, that's great. Um, I, I did want to ask you something before we run out of time here, but, uh, something that separates you from a lot of people that I noticed was you are a no shot color, uh, trainer. Yeah. And I, I kind of think that's amazing in a way because everything you look at on YouTube, different training systems and everything, um, that really stood out to me. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, here's, here's one thing about me in, in one thing about, um, my ideas when it comes to training. So first off, I think there's a lot of ways to train dogs and, and I'll be the first person to say that. Like, I, I don't think if anyone ever, if you ever hear, and, and I will say this, I recommend and I suggest you do exactly what you're doing and I recommend it to anybody else. I think you should watch and I think you should listen to and I think you should take in as much training information and advice as you can. Okay. I, I talk to every training you can listen to every, go to every seminar you can watch every DVD you can watch every YouTube video you can. There's so much content out there. Consume as much of it as you can. Absolutely. But then I, but then I tell people, take it all in, figure out what works for you. And then apply what apply the stuff that works. Discard the stuff that doesn't that, that you don't think is a fit, and create your own style. That's what I did. I, I didn't go to school to be a trainer. Um, like I said, I was a construction guy. I, I loved training dogs. I had a couple good ones. Um, I got I I got lucky. I think early on, and and really that's where that this this passion grew within me. Now. I think you don't have to have an aspiration to train dogs for a living. You just want to have a good family dog. This still, this idea or theory still applies. Go and go and consume it all. And I don't. And I also think there's no one way to do anything. And that applies maybe more in life than than just in dogs as well. But especially with training dogs, I think there's so many different ways to do it. I think you have to figure out what fits your style. What figure? What fits your dogs in particular? That you know, whatever dog you, whatever dog you're, you know, you end up picking, figure out what works best for it, and then and then go about it, and be willing to adjust, be willing to adapt. When you when, when you run into someone that says this is the way it has to be done, that's that's a big red flag for me. So I, I go, oh, wait a minute, why is that? That to me that doesn't make sense. Huh. I really think that's that's important, but more specifically, when you start talking about collars, you know. I'm not here to say I, I do get a little bit I get a little bit worked up at times about it because um, the problem I see with it is is I think it's a I think it's so the the collar companies 
themselves um, are huge. You know, shock collar companies are really big, really big budgets, really big advertising. Right? They do a great job marketing. And so what they've created is this, I feel like they've created this, this, this world where people go, I have a problem with my dog. How do I fix it? We get a shock collar. Right. And that'll, that'll work. And so what I've, I've seen is I've had people post stuff on their page. This has happened. You know, it's been, it's, it happens less and less now because back in the day, I used to be really, really quiet about it. Um, and say much about it because it created some issues. Like I'd say something, I literally had guys, I did, I early on when I, just years ago, you do, I do some seminars and, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd bring up shock collars. It'd come up or someone would ask about it. And I'd say, I don't use them. And I said, I don't, I don't believe in them. Um, it, it's not my style. And I literally had guys and I, I thought we we're going to fist bite me in the parking lot after <laughs> the seminar. Like I, it, people get that worked up about it. Right. And so and they're, you know, they're very serious talk guys. And so, so I used to avoid it. I used to kind of, uh, don't bring it up and we'll see if we don't have to talk about it. But then I realized a lot of people thought I used them. I had people come up to me and say, well, where's your, where's your collars? I don't use them. No. You ha- in order to have that, that kind of control, you, you, you have to. But no, I don't. And I, I, I certainly don't have to. And so I started thinking about it, and I thought, you know, if I don't tell people that I don't use them, and I don't show people and make a point of people understanding that I'm not using them, I'm not going out there. I don't think you build the biggest building by knocking everyone's building down. Right. I think you build the biggest building by building a big building. So I I decided instead of like saying why you know talking a lot of negative about collars I'm going to talk more about the positives of not having collars. So so first off shock collar I think that's what it is that's what it does. It's to the point of that marketing where now it's now it's an e collar you know right. it just sounds better. So but when I think about it the reason I don't use them is this I talked a little bit earlier about the mechanics are part of it. And the other part of this is feel and trust and developing this, this rapport with my dog. And, and to me, that's, that's real, real important. So what happens with a collar, I do not, you know, it's, it's, it's positive stuff and negative stuff. And then, you know, you have to use, I use pressure. I use some pressure, um, in training. And when I say pressure, I don't beat the dogs. I don't, I, I have to put some correction on Sometimes the pressure is as soft and as simple as tone. Sometimes the pressure is a slip collar, and I'll put a little correction on it on a dog to get that position. So it just depends. Uh, all different types of, of pressure that you can put on a dog. But then there's praise. I'm not a treat trainer. Like people, as soon as people go, he, he doesn't. He's not a shock collar guy. They automatically think he must be a treat trainer or a clicker, clicker trainer. I don't clicker train. Right. I don't treat train. I don't. I use. I'll use food as motivation really early with young dogs. To get some stuff out of them, but I, I figured that out really quickly because I think treat training I think creates as big of a problem as shock collars can pre- create. It's just a different problem. Treat training I think creates just spoiled brats. Interesting. I, if, I had to give my, if I had to give my kid a buck every time he did something right, I'd go broke, or I'd have a kid that as soon as I quit giving him a dollar, he, I'm not going to do it anymore. So I, I don't want to create a spoiled brat. I also the opposite end of that spectrum when you start talking about collars is. I don't want a dog that works out of fear. I, here's my here's my mindset. I used to I worked for I worked for a lot of different people um, over the years. Not a lot, but enough to have to experience different types of situations with bosses and work environments and that. So I've worked for places that if I did a really good job, I knew because of how they set up their their internal works. I knew that if I did a really good job is likely I was going to get a reward. They're going to give me a bonus. Like, I, I, I might, I do a really good job on something, I'm probably going to get compensated for it. Right. I've also worked, I've also worked for people that you make a mistake, you're fired. Like, don't you make this mistake, you're fired. Now, me personally, you will get, like, I look at this and I take a step back and I go, who, which, which employer got the most out of me? I'll tell you right now, the one that said, you could do a good job, you get a bonus, they got way more out of Jeremy than the one that said, make one mistake and you're fired. Right. And the reason is, is because I think there's a point when you get good at something, like uh, it, it doesn't matter what it is. You could be a welder, you could be a, uh, a construction guy, you could be a teacher, you could be, doesn't matter. Name, name a job, it probably can apply. 
there's a point where when you get good at a craft, now this isn't like you're learning it, this isn't like you, you figured it out, but when you get good at you've done it long enough. Well, one second. Just, did you hear that beep and I have a call coming? Yeah, no so problem. I'm, I'm trying to send them away. <laughs> um, it happens. So, so when you get good at something, you master a craft, and you're, 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 you've got some talent with it. Now, if you get to the point where you have a special project, you know, because you're really good at what, at what you do, Oscar here is this project for you. Here's what I need. I need you to do this, and it's it, it's hard. It's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna take some some thinking, some creativity, probably, and you're gonna have to apply all of your skills, whatever it is. And and, and if you do it, you can get a nice bonus for it. Well, that type of scenario, I as an employee, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna spend a little more time at night thinking about it. I'm gonna probably work a little bit harder, maybe a couple extra hours. Uh, do whatever I gotta do because I go. I know there's a big reward for this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stick my neck out. I might do something that is a little unorthodox. I might do something that's a little bit different. But that is what separates people that are really good from those that just go along and do the assembly line type procedure over and over and over again. They don't want to stick their neck out. They don't want to go. Maybe this would get me a little more efficient. Maybe this would be a little bit faster way. Maybe I'd get better quality if I did this. Those. Those people that stick their neck out, I think risk takers that way, to a degree, a measurable degree, are that make the best. They make the best employees. They do the best work. They, they do really, really good. So the way my dog is, now I'm going to get to a point where at some point I'm going to ask my dog to do something for me. And it might be really, really a difficult thing. It might be hard. It might be challenging might be something that they are not necessarily 100% comfortable with, okay? Yep. If my dog is afraid of one mistake, I get lit up with electricity through my neck. I get shocked if I make a mistake. Or if I, if I take a look, I think that thing is over here. I, I, I caught a little bit of wind, and I think it's over this way. And they get that extra oomph to go and look, and there it is, and they found it, and they brought it back to me. If I get a dog that's willing to say, I trust him on the other end, and he trusts me enough that I'm going to go out on I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit and stick my neck out a little bit, and that's where I get those dogs that are able to do things that other dogs can't do or aren't willing to do, because when you work out of fear, you're not going to stick your neck out. Now I've got to. This is all managed. You have to control. It has to be. There has to be balance with it. So I don't want a dog that's just loosey loosey and just running all over the place and going. Ah, Free spirit, go for it. No, I don't want that. And if I need that's where foundation comes in. Yeah. If you build a good foundation, you don't have that. People think shot cars fix problems. Problem is is you've got a problem that was cre- you've got a problem that was created that needs to fix. The shot caller may take your dog and really, really knock their confidence down, might really hurt them, might might be an issue from from the actual mechanics part of it. But what it'll also do is it'll take that dog and go, confidence level gone, you know, fear factor major, but it could create even more issues. You could, here's a scenario that happened to a buddy of mine, used a collar. So recall, recall is teaching a dog to come to you. So I need dogs that will recall solid. So dogs, these guys are out. These are little Britney Spaniels. They were out, they all had collars on their dogs. And my buddy's dog wouldn't come wouldn't come, wouldn't come. So he's calling, he's calling, he's calling. Well, the dog, I didn't know where it was. So he got a collar, he cranks it up, he gives him a nick. Well, he nicks him and the dog was on his way back. But he didn't know it. His dog was in the backyard. And his dog was coming and he puts pressure on it. The dog barks, lights him up. So what, what did that dog learn at that moment? What was he doing at the moment he got corrected? He's, he's coming back. Coming him. back and but, now putting, now it's a negative Right, so now we're confusing the hell out of them, right? So same guy, same guy, I think, well, got multiple collars, multiple dogs. Some other guy's frequency apparently is on his dog, on his dog's collar. And the issue is the guy's correcting the other guy's dog, and this guy's dog is getting the correction. Well, so what ha- what's happening here is we're taking something that is very uh, advanced in technology and all this stuff, and we're disrupting what is natural timing. 
And timing is crucial. Good trainers have good timing. So you got to have good timing to use a collar. You got to have a ton of patience to use a collar. What did What did we just both talk about and agree that most people don't have? Patience. Patience. Yep. And so when you lose your patience, my question is: is when you when the majority of the people do not have the level of understanding of timing and patience to effectively or even without creating negative effects, put collars on dogs. They shouldn't put them on dogs. A collar is a tool that in the hands of a great trainer in very limited situations can possibly be a last, a last effort fix. I do believe that. But I also think that 99.9999999% of the people that put collars on dogs are not great trainers and they don't use them in the right situations. That's so I look at it. I, so I look at it and I go like this. Let's take the collar away from this and let's start figuring out how to build these dogs to trust us. Let's start. Let's figure out how to build these dogs that, you know, how, you know, how much, you know, what a good feeling it is. I've got a lot of friends that have dogs that test. They really test. And we've had long conversations of, is there a, is there a fix if you put a collar on this dog to some of the issues we have? One of them's got a GSP. Okay. So your, your GSP is a different animal. Right. It, it, you know, they're all a little bit different, but GSP, my buddy's got one, really runs. And, and we've, he has asked, cause he's, he's talked to other people and they go, we've got to put a collar on him. And I said, and he's asked me about it. I said, I don't think you do. I think it's going to take, I think this is what it's going to take. I think I take the same approach. I think it might take time. You know, it was, it, it would it have been a lot easier and quicker for him. It may have been if it went well. It may have been quicker, but his dog is like two and a half right now, something like that. And this, two weeks ago, took his dog out, sent me videos of it. He's working his dog. Where normally in the past, his dog really would have took some big, would have been a big runner, really out there, uh, to the point where he felt a little concerned at getting the dog back. And so this dog gets out. He had a great lesson or session with the dog. He sent me the videos. He said, man, what a what a change this year compared to last year at this time. And I said, yeah. I said, you know, how old is, how old is he? Dog's name's Hutch. How old is Hutch? I, a little over two, I think, is what he is right now. And, and I looked and I thought about it and I went, man, that is so great to hear. And it's so great to hear his voice because the excitement and the amount of um, how, how, how he felt, how proud he was at that moment because he, he, he did it. He did it the way I think he should do it. Now, I think going forward, he's going to get a lot more out of Hutch. I just think I just think the dog took a little bit longer than what we probably would have preferred. Well, what does that come back to? Patience. Yep. So you, you, there's, there's quite a sense of satisfaction in knowing that you and your dog, like I've seen some people turn out really nice dogs that don't know how to train dogs. I've seen some people that really know how to train dogs turn out dogs that aren't that good. And the difference is when you have that, you, you, have, you might have the mechanics, but if you don't have the connection, feel, and trust, you don't get good dogs. You might have great feel, trust, and, and, and be able to, to have that connection to the dog, but you don't know anything about the mechanics part of it, and you can still probably get a pretty decent dog out of there. I've seen it. But when you combine those two, the mechanics... That, that part of the, you know recognizing timing and tone and all that stuff there's there's enough of that to 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 get, get to keep it busy but if you connect to that and then you get to feel the trust the connection part of it that's when great that's where you get great dogs I'm not interested in good ones I want great ones that's it's so unbelievable I mean just like you would never imagine there's so much meat and potatoes in just the basics of everything. Uh-huh. Um, this is, this has been great. I mean, I wish we had all day to do this. Um, I know you're a busy guy. I I definitely am super happy that I got you on and that you took the time out of this. I definitely want you to touch on where people can find, um, your training system and how, how to go about uh, getting all that. Yeah. First off, awesome interview. I really enjoyed this. I, I, so I thank you for having me. I know we struggled connecting, uh, timing wise, schedule wise, but I'm really glad we did. The way to find the best way to find out more stuff about our, our, what we do and how we do it, 
Um, website is dogbonehunter.com. Um, all of our social platforms and our social platforms are really nice. I, I've, I'm a little behind probably in getting involved with them, but I've, I have realized and found the value and importance of how people consume content. And, and so one of the things that we've made a really big effort to is try to utilize social platforms, whether it be, we use Facebook quite a bit. We use Instagram, um, more than we used to. And we're trying to grow that more because I think that's a great platform. It's a little bit different. I use it a little different than I do Facebook. Um, I actually even have started Snapchat. I know it sounds crazy that I just started <laughs> it, but I didn't understand it. And here's the thing. Like I could, I could, I could go along and not understand it and go, eh, I just don't understand it. And a lot of little kids are on that. Or I have to, to try it and I have to, ex- I have to be a practitioner. I have to actually do it, figure it out. And I realized, you know what? There's value in that too. There's, there's, there are certain things I can do with that one that I can't do with the other one. So we use Facebook. We use Instagram. We use uh, Snapchat. We have a Twitter account. It's just connected kind of to my Facebook. That's another one. I haven't figured it out. Right. Now, I think, for me, it's hard enough managing three. Like I'm, I'm, I, I have my hands full, but it's at Dogbone Hunter. So okay. at Dogbone Hunter is the is like the handle for all of our stuff, um, and then our YouTube page. And, and you mentioned our YouTube page. That's at Dogbone Hunter. We use our YouTube page as a place where we like to um, congregate all these different platforms. All of this, some of the stuff's not even on those platforms. It's just videos and stuff. I'm big in the document. Like I've gotten big into documenting. We're going to do a whole lot more. 2018 is going to be a giant year for us with a bunch of different projects that we've got going right now. But our YouTube page is a great spot, and that's at Dogbone Hunter as well. Um, it's a great spot where we can migrate things and make it easy for people to search out. I think our one of our keys is figuring out how to get people uh, the information. I can give you the tools, but without the information, it's hard to use them. It, it, you could go to Sears and to buy a complete tool set from Craftsman. If you if you set it in your garage, it won't build anything. Right. I need to have I need to have the what to do once I have that stuff. So our products are all available on our website. Um, it's all stuff that we've we've I have developed because I had a problem and I figured out a, I thought of a better way to do it and it worked really well for us. And I think it's I think our hope is that it's it's doable for for anyone. Um, so. Websites dogbonehunter.com and then all of our at Dogbone Hunters and we just got a new DVD coming out. Um, it's gonna be coming out probably by the end of this month. Oh, awesome! Um, re- really excited about it. New shed training DVD. We have a shed training DVD out right now that was a partnership with Gun Dog Magazine. We did it. Um, it's under the Gun Dog Library. We have that. That has changed now and it will no longer be available. But we redid it and basically we took a 48 minute DVD on shed training. And we turned it into a, I think the last I saw of the final revisions was two hours and 57 minutes. Wow. And, and that doesn't include a chapter on hold conditioning, which added another hour. So instead of doing that, like I took, basically I took a 48 minute DVD that I had done five years ago and I turned it into a four hour combination. And we're giving that hold conditioning DVD away for free with the purchase of the DVD, with the shed DVD. So I'm big, like it would, Clearly, I get long-winded on stuff, and I basically got long-winded in DVD format or in video format is all I want to. So, but I just think, you know what? The, the information is really, really important, and the feedback we get. I, I'm, I'm in. I love training dogs. I like helping people, maybe as much or more. So, if we, if there's something that we can do to help people with their dogs, you know, reach out to us on any of those platforms. It's just a super way for us to be interactive and, and be able to help, uh, hopefully, help uh, people on their own process and it was their own journey absolutely and i know you're in uh, cabela's and mills fleet farm i've seen your products yep. in there before um yep. are you going to be yeah, attending cabela's shields um just about all the, the you know thankfully we're in we're in quite a few um retailers and it, we actually have a list you put our website you can click on it and you can see a lot of the dealers we have right there um and then but then our website you, know, you can order it through our website Every, everyone has become so accustomed to um online purchasing. We realize that. So Absolutely. we try to make it as easy, try to make it as easy as possible. And are you going to be attending any, uh, outdoor shows, hunting shows, the green Bay show? 
Uh, I don't have that one on um, between now and April. I think I'm just I'm, I'm somewhere just about every weekend, um, and maybe even into May, I guess. But we do. We've got a couple things coming up. We've got some work. We've got workshops where we hold workshops. Uh, they're real limited in number. Uh, no more than 15 people come to them. We've been your own dog. If you want information on that, look on our Facebook. But we've got an April workshop. We've got a May workshop. That's a foundation workshop. Um, we're going to be at. Cabela's in Rogers, Minnesota, coming up here in a couple of weeks. Um, I'm in Jay's Sporting Goods this weekend. We're doing a seminar at their store. We're doing two Whitetails Unlimited um, deer camp events this weekend. Uh, we've got five or six Whitetails Unlimited deer camp events that we that we will be at with the dog. We, we have their mascot. Uh, Taylor is their Whitetails Unlimited mascot. So we go around, and we, I think we're doing five of those this spring, five or six more in the spring. Um, we're going to be at Bass Pro Shops in Altoona, Iowa, on Thursday before the Iowa Deer Classic. I think that's the first weekend in March. Yep. Um, we're there. We're that Thursday night. We're at Altoona. These are all free works, free, free seminars. Um, so Bass Pro Shops in Altoona, a Whitetails Unlimited dinner in Ankeny that Saturday night. I probably will be working right now to potentially be at a Shields uh, booth at the Whitetails Classic. Uh, that's not for sure yet, um, but we're working on something with that. And so Facebook is, or our social pages are probably the best way to keep tabs on, on where we're going to be, but we're going to be all over, man. Perfect. And you're close by. I'm hoping one of these days I'll scoot out there and maybe uh, we'll get a podcast done right in the warehouse. You bet, man. You bet. Um, when's that pup coming? When did you say that pup's coming? Uh, May. We're getting it from a breeder um, here in Wisconsin, so it should be ready Excellent. in May. Excellent. Mike, you may, we, we can talk after, but maybe something you want to Maybe maybe you, maybe you do, maybe you don't have an interest in taking part in those workshops. Two of those workshops are right here in Pulaski. Um, so, and those are the foundation workshops. And might even be worth observing, coming and watching. We, we, like, we'll, we'll fill up. So, what we've done this year is we've added the ability for people, if they want, they can, they can watch. They don't have to, you know, not going to be able to be involved full-fledged with their dogs. Right. But we'll have, we'll have people that are, I have people that are coming from Missouri that have been to our workshop before. And they're coming to the next steps workshop, which is a prereq. You have to take the first one. They're coming, and all they're going to do is watch. They, they just want to observe. So, I find I think there's value in that as well. So that might be something that you, you and your family maybe even be interested in. Absolutely, yeah. And like I said, yeah. uh, if you want to hold on the line, we'll close this out. I appreciate the time that you took. Enjoyed talking you to you. I hope everybody learned something. Uh, that's the main goal here: is get everybody to learn. And uh, this is going to be a big process. Hopefully you guys get involved in this. And I know shed hunting's blowing up and uh, deer recovery programs and everything. Uh, get into yeah. it because this is, uh, Jeremy is by far one of the best around. So um, take advantage of it. And thankfully for me, I got him here locally. So um, even if not, he's, he'll be on YouTube and he sells the DVDs. So make sure you check it out at dogbonehunter.com. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks.